Good morning, Whitewater. You guys doing good? You guys ready to open up the Bible? And I, I, I promise I won't talk as badly or as long as Lee made me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Man, we're just so glad that you're here. This truly is a place you can belong before you believe. That means that you can explore faith at your own pace. Uh, we have so many people here that, that wouldn't even consider themselves Christians yet or have maybe just made a decision to start following Jesus. And man, if, that, if you might um, relate to that, you're in the right place. Um, and here's, this is a place where we really want to see you grow and become who God's created you to be. So um, I wake, wake up usually early on Sunday mornings. And I, I like to kind of pray and think through some of the sermons, some of the stuff we're going to go through together. And, um, and so I, I woke up early. Uh, if I were to kind of rewind a little bit, though, the night before, I, I ate some almonds, and one of the almonds dropped to the floor. We have a new French, dog, uh, French bulldog puppy who ate it. Do you know what an almond does to the stomach of a French bulldog? I found out this morning and as I was going out to read through, you know, my sermon, which is on the worst day of your life, like where, how do you handle the worst day of your life, um, I walked into just, my dog had the worst night of its life. <laughs> He's okay. My floors are not. And uh, I just had to, well, we won't go into that. Um, but it was so uh, interesting as I was helping him. Uh, and I was thinking, man, some of the people who have walked into the doors of, of Whitewater, uh, their life has experienced probably some of the worst things you can, you can imagine. As a pastor, some of the stories I hear where lives just blow up. Um, I, I want you guys to know that this series is designed to help us learn a pattern of dealing with the worst things that life can throw at us. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say a word of prayer and we're going to jump right in. Does that sound good? All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. I just pray that you would bring us a timely word today. Would you speak right to our hearts? Uh, Lord, would you, uh, would you inspire those who need inspiring? Lord, would you encourage those whose heads are hanging low and they've gone through some just hardship? Would you, uh, would you breathe inspiration and love and encouragement into their hearts and lives? And God, we, we are so grateful to be here. We're so grateful that we can build relationships um, together in a, in a family like this. Um, would you bless us today in Jesus' name? Amen. So last week... Uh, when we looked at the life of David, we saw that he had, up to this point, the worst day of his life. And we looked at the pattern that he set with his life. The pattern that he set is so interesting. He's not a perfect guy. Any of you guys know the story of David? Not a perfect dude. Not a perfect dude. But he sets a pattern for us on, on how to um, deal with the worst day of your life. And the three things we learned last week, three lessons we picked out of his life, are one is to just weep and grieve when the worst is happening. Instead of walking past it, ignoring it, denying it, uh, instead of just wallowing in it, uh, to weep and grieve. And then the second is not to, is not to be bitter. Don't become bitter. It's so easy to wallow in anger and frustration and bitterness, and it begins to destroy and divide your relationships and your life. And, uh, and then third thing, third lesson we learned was to encourage yourself in the Lord, to remember the goodness of God, to focus on, on, on the faithfulness of God, because what we focus on is really what we become. And, and so we looked at those aspects 
of, of uh, David's response. Now, the thing we're going to be looking at uh, today, the thing we're going to be looking at today is about receiving a timely word. I'm going to jump into the passage. This is in 1 Samuel. If you have your Bible or maybe a Bible app, you can, turn, you can open that. We've also got the words up on the screen behind. And we have notes. If you want to pull out the notes, you can uh, begin following along. But here in verse 1, it says, Three days later, when David and his men arrived home at their town, this is their hometown, and it's called Ziklag. You guys remember Ziklag? Isn't that a great name? Uh, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid into the Negev and, and Ziklag. They had, crushed, um, they had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They had carried away off all the women and the children and everyone else, like all their family members. They had kidnapped them. This was the worst day of David's life. He had lost everything, all his wealth, his homes burned to the ground, his family has been taken off by an army that's much bigger than his. It's a hopeless situation. And um, this is the worst day. He's lost everything. Now, um, how do you deal with those moments? How do you respond in moments like this? I mean, I know people who have lost all their wealth, but not their family. I know that people have lost some family, but not all their wealth. They haven't lost their homes. David lost everything. I mean, this is, this is as bad as it gets. He has nothing. And um, his response is incredible. I, uh, I actually got a response from a friend who came to, this, came to the sermon last week, and he sent it in, and it was, a, it was an incredible um, message. So I, I'll just read a little piece of it. I thought it was really interesting, and it was also really insightful. Um, and he he said when he came last week, he was like, what, "What do you do on the worst day of your life?" He's like, "What kind of advice do you have for that?" He's, he was like, "I was skeptical uh, because nothing can really prepare you for the worst day of your life, and it's it's true. Nothing can prepare you for the depth of pain and surprise and shock." But he said it was so incredible to see the response of David. He's like, "I actually had a big impact on me." And he wrote this. Um, he says, "As I ref- um, as I re- reflected, he says anyone who doesn't know the date of their worst day sadly might not have had." their worst day yet mine he says was and then he gave the exact date he knew the exact date exact time and as i reflect on getting through my worst day all those years ago i'll share with you just a few things one is god works in the ordeal not the ideal meaning god works in the mess not just in the the best and um and then he says god's always on the job pain is an unwanted gift for it is the ability to refine us and bring us closer to God. And I know, my friend, I know what happened on the worst day of his life. And it, it is legitimately the worst thing you can think of. And, and, he, and he says this about it. He says, however, I had to ask myself quite extensively these questions. Why is God allowing this to happen? I think this is a common question people have when they're going through the worst day. Wouldn't you agree? And then he says, what, what kind of God allows these terrible things? Did God do this? Well-meaning Christians can make it worse sometimes by saying, well, don't worry, this is all in God, a part of God's plan. Now, I don't buy that for a second. A cousin of mine encouraged me to subscribe to the approach of our Middle Eastern Christian brothers and sisters who go through suffering. And he says, and these are folks that know something about pain because they've experienced persecution. He says, they simply acknowledge that times like that are simply brutal. And he says this, listen to this, and they plea for God's mercy and healing. 
They don't spend a ton of time trying to like rationalize it and try to, you know, figure out all the strands and why this is happening and how could God, they just recognize the brutal facts and they beg God for mercy. They ask God for his help and they, they beg God for his presence in the middle of it. And he said that that was a, a deep comfort to him. And he says what he has learned about going through tragedy like that is that he came to believe this, is that God is the master of making good out of bad. I actually believe that God comes alongside us and feels our suffering with us. That his suffering on the cross allows him to empathize with our pain. This was another remarkable side effect of my worst day and why pain is truly an unwanted gift. And that blew me away because this was someone opening up, becoming very vulnerable and sharing their experience. If you have an experience of the worst day of your life or maybe the worst season of your life and you're far enough away from where you can look back and you're like, man, I do see that God had some, he was, there's something that I could pass on to others and there's something that God has taught me through this. And God has turned something that was meant for evil into something that I can say God has used it for good, even though it was the worst thing. I, would you message us at Whitewater, whether it's on f- Facebook or you know, message me even personally. You can find our, our emails on our, on our website. I, I would love to hear your story because we're a church family. And we don't want people to go through that alone. alone and, and also your story is impactful for other people. Now, if, you were to, if we were to continue reading, starting in verse 3, David's response, we learned last week, when David and his men saw the ruins and realized what was happening, what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, um, I'm not even going to try to pronounce their names right now, <laughs> um, the, both of them, they were carried off among those captured, and David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and their daughters, and they began talking about stoning him. But David found strength in the Lord his God, or encouraged himself in the Lord. In verse 7, we're going to see how when we're going through the midst of something like this, that David sets a pattern of seeking a timely word from God. Seeking a timely word from God. It's, it, it says this, Then he said to Abathar the priest, Bring me the ephod. Uh, so Abathar brought it. And Abathar, uh, just so you guys know, actually back up. Do you guys know what an ephod is? You, I, you know, I was like, what's an ephod? I was looking at that. It's a, it's a garment, like a robe, uh, and it's white linen, and, it's, and it was for worship. It was like, if you're going to worship, if you're going to get ready to worship and spend time with God and, get, and like focus yourself, they would put the ephod on. Um, some of you guys actually look pretty, pretty good here today. Some of you guys are just like, I, I give like a 5 out of 10. Some of you guys are like, ten, come on, come on. Some of you guys look really, you know, like you're like, man, I'm dressed to worship. I got my ephod on. Uh, have you guys have seen Keith? He does announcements up here. He's always wearing the suit. I always say, man, you look more like the pastor Whitewater than I do. He's always looking, he's always got his ephod on. He's ready to worship. So David gets the ephod on. Now, another thing uh, that's interesting uh, about this story is that he calls on Abathar. Do you guys know who Abathar is? I, I might be butchering his name, but that's what I'm going to say. Um, Abathar was the only surviving priest from a massacre of priests that had happened. See, uh, the king at the time, Saul, had 
been friends with David at first because David slayed a giant for him. And then David became more and more popular. And as David's popularity uh, started uh, rising, what do you think uh, Saul's um, thoughts about David were? As David's popularity went up, Saul got upset with him. And he turned him into an outcast and his band of outcasts. And Saul had, had massacred Abathar's kind of family of priests and David, he had joined David's band and they became friends. The other interesting thing about Abathar was that um, David trusted him as a spiritual confidant, a, a spiritual counselor and friend. And D- David had counselors for certain things. When David was going to go to battle and he's going to go to war, he would put on his battle armor, right? He, they always had clothes that matched the situation, the ephod for worship. You know, they had um, you know, stuff like all his armor for the battle. They even, like when they would grieve, they would put ashes in sackcloth. So they'd have all these different, you know, I guess garb for what they were doing. But they also, David also had key leaders. And when he was talking about battle, he would bring Joab because he was like his, his battle counselor. When he was seeking the Lord, he would bring Abathar in. He trusted him. Now I've got Pastor Scott and Pastor uh, Mike, you know, like that are kind of like my, you know, uh, spiritual counselors in situations like, I'll let you decide which one is which for battle or worship. But David had those, and I think that's really important to note. Now, um, the other thing is that in this moment, when David has lost everything, wealth, homes, burned to the ground, his family has been taken, he doesn't just go despondent, doesn't give up, doesn't get bitter. He goes to the Lord. Remember, he encourages himself in the Lord. And then he seeks a word from the Lord. And he needs a word from God now more than ever. And David asked the Lord, should I chase after this band of raiders? Will I catch them? Essentially, this says, God, what do I do? Like, give me some direction. What do you want me to do now? And I'm telling you, I've seen so many people when the worst day happens and the unthinkable, the unwanted, the moment happens in their life and it blows everything up and their dreams, their hopes for this life and their family and this relationship and their health, everything just changes in a moment. I see so many people in that moment turn to all these other things in their life because they're, dis- they're despairing or they're angry or they're in shock and they'll turn to everything except God. And you might not be a Christian here like that. You're like, well, that makes sense to me. But no matter if you're a Christian or not a Christian, if you believe that Christians believe in God, maybe you're a Christian that does believe in God. Our first response, as David teaches us, should be to turn to him. But so much of the time, we'll turn to everything else. David turns to the Lord. And I love, if you notice the order here, he turns and encourages himself in the Lord, reminding himself of the character of God, the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, even before he seeks a word from God. Sometimes we, we have to like, we have to remind ourselves of God's voice and of God's goodness before we're ready to receive a word from God. Amen? Now, I, I think this is, um, this is so powerful how David reacts here. He asks the Lord what to do. And then God responds to him and the Lord says to him, the Lord told him, 
the Lord gives him a word. and He says, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken for, from you. Simply, he says, pursue the enemy. And the enemy is vast. Like, that's going to be a really difficult task. But he says, pursue them. You will recover everything. And God gives him a word to live by, to trust in, to act on. So often, like, when things happen, I just want to react, and I want to, like, say what I want to say, and I want to go do what I want to do. And David teaches me, slow down, seek the Lord, get a word from Him. How do you guys know that God is a speaking God? He is a communicating God. He longs to communicate. He's our heavenly father. Jesus said, this is my father. Jesus would always go off and spend time with his heavenly father, communicating him with him. Um, the, one of the, the most amazing things about the Christian life was when you begin walking with God, it's about learning to walk with God and talk with him. God wants to speak with us. He wants to have a relationship with us. In fact, in, in uh, John chapter 10, um, 3 and 4, it says, the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. They follow him because they know his voice. David had spent all this time with sheep. And while he was spending time with sheep, he was spending time worshiping and getting to know God. He knew God's voice. He had trained himself up to this point in his life so that when the worst thing would happen, he wouldn't stop doing what he'd always done, which is always come back and seek a word from the Lord, remember the Lord, encourage himself in the Lord, come back to the Lord. Some of you have probably heard me say this before. It was from a a Christian uh, who's got a lot of wisdom. They followed Christ for a long time, and it's always stuck with me. Those who spend time with the Lord have the advantage of being trained by the Lord. When you go through the worst moments, worst days of your life, will you spend time with him? Will you turn to him? What would it look like for you, like here today, in your situation, I may know you, I might not even know you, what would it look like for you to begin spending more time with God so that you, you know what his voice is like, you know the character of God? Because the sheep, it says in that, in that verse, they know his voice. It's like you and I are designed to be like radios that pick up the frequencies, and we're designed specifically to pick up on the voice of God. But there's so much static in the world. There's so much static with circumstances and voices and, you know, uh, everything around us wants to distract us in some ways from hearing his voice. I remember being on the computer and my phone one time, I was like working on sermon, I was looking at, you know, texts and tweets and all this stuff, and maybe the TV was on, it was just like one of those days, any of you guys have those days, maybe I'm the only one, um, and my daughter was like, hey dad, watch this, and she was talking, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's good, I'm doing this, and, and she's like, dad, watch, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's good, and then she's like, dad, and she grabs my face. I feel like sometimes God has to like grab our, our face and just be like, listen to me. God wants to communicate with us. He's speaking. Are we willing to listen? I want to talk to you guys about a timely word. David went and he knew that he was in a moment, a time that was really hard, and he needed a word from God. Have you ever needed a word from God? I know I have. Like just in those moments where you're like, man, I don't know if I can keep doing this. I don't know if I, like, I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know if I can keep moving this direction. I don't know if I can trust this relationship. I just don't know. In those moments, we need a word from the Lord, a timely word. 
When I think of timely, sometimes I think of, um, have you ever heard an untimely word? Whenever I think of an untimely word, I think of like my dad. Not because he would, he was the one always giving us timely words I didn't want to hear sometimes, but I needed to hear. We were always giving him untimely words to our father. Five foot six, but man, he's like Gimli from Lord of the Rings. He's just like, he's not, he's short and he's dangerous of a short distance. And uh, he goes, um, one time he was driving home, he had had a hard week. Remember, he's kind of in one of, like a mood all week. It was just a hard week. And, and my, my, do- or my sister, Katie, she was like four or five years old and she saw him pulling up in the driveway. He gets out and there's all, it's like a bright sunny day and there's all these families out and, you know, neighbors. And, and she yells, Dad, are you in a good mood or a bad mood? <laughs> I'm like, he's in a bad mood now. <laughs> It was just such a perfectly untimely word from my dad. He was like, ah. Um, I remember one time we were in California. It was, we were doing this trip. Uh, it was back in the 90s. That's when we moved up here. So during the 90s, we were always taking trips back to our family in California. And so we'd go do Disneyland all together and with cousins and grandparents and all that stuff. And, and somewhere along the line, there was like this family joke that started. Like um, back in the 90s, m- my dad's a pastor. He was very embarrassed to admit that he watched The Simpsons because of how risque it was. Um, but we would watch The Simpsons. And there was a line in it from Ralphie where it, I don't even remember the context but the Ralphie with this high voice goes, my eyeball. And it became a running joke in our family. So like we'd be waiting in line and someone would be like, ow, my eyeball, you know, and people would laugh. I don't know, it was the 90s, everything was funny. And uh, um, we, 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 did the, we did the whole Disneyland tour and at the end of it, we were all saying goodbye. Everyone's super sad. My brother was three, uh, about three and a half and we, were being, you know, we strolled him everywhere. He had this little stroller. And he was learning like how to be part of the family, and he had heard this joke over and over, and people laugh, and he wanted to make people laugh. So as we, everyone's sad and tearing up and saying goodbye, little three-year-old Evan, you know, he's, he, he drums here, he works with our youth, like little, he's three years old, he looks from his little, you know, stroller, and he goes, my eyeball! And everybody roars with laughter. It was a perfectly timed word. It was timely. And, you know, like, it was just like release the tension. Everyone laughs. And he's like, I made everybody laugh. That, those are words that mean laughter. And so they get in the car and they head home. I wasn't in the van. I was in, in another car. And uh, they start the long journey from Southern California all the way up. And somewhere like in Bakersfield, like, I think they, it was super hot. No air conditioning. Uh, you know, sun beating through the windows. We were, at, we were in, a, in a, they were in a van called Golden Thunder. There's an old Toyota's Moonmobile, and it's just hotter than nine hells, and they're starting to hit some traffic, and my brother all of a sudden goes, my eyeball, and everybody laughs, and then a few minutes later, he goes, my eyeball, and my dad's like, that's enough, Evan. (laughs) Brother looks around, no one laughed that time, he's like, they must not have heard me, my eyeball, Evan, stop it, he's, you know when you get the dad looking in the, like, looking back at you, you know, things in the mirror are closer than they appear, and all of a sudden, um, he's like, Evan, not one more time, and all of a sudden, they've really hit traffic, my dad's frustrated, and he just goes, my eyeball, my eyeball, my... and my dad's like, I'm going to pull this car over, and all of a sudden, pulls it over and pulls him out, and my dad's like, you know, he, the dad talking like that, kind of like, it's like a seal, like, and he, he don't do that, and then Evan looks over at the van, at the family, and they're busting up. <laughs> and so my brother, my dad's doing the, he's doing the seal. And my, my brother looks at him at three and a half years old and goes, my eyeball. I'm like, oh, 
out. Untimely words. Evan, um, have you ever had a timely word given to you? I remember um, one time just feeling the Lord speak to my heart. My daughter was born, little novella. They put her in my arms, and she didn't cry when she, normally infants cry when they're born. She didn't cry for the first few minutes. She just looked around, and then she started crying. And that's her personality. She's just, she's just so full of joy, and I was holding her. And it was like this amazing dad, mom, family, like, like things change, like responsibility, everything, you know, it's just like overwhelming this moment. It's about us. It's about me. It's, and then all of a sudden I felt God say to me, you see her? You feel how much you love her? That's how much I love the world. And it was so bizarre because that was like the last thing that would be on my mind. But it was just like God used that moment to speak a word to me. David is in the worst moment of his life and he needs a word from God. And God says, I'm going to give you the victory. I'm going to give you recovery of everything. Trust me. You know, in the New Testament, um, there's a few words for time and words. In the New Testament, time is actually, there's two words primarily that are in the Greek. And there's chronos time, which is like chronological. One, then two, then three, then four. You know, I went to the store. I got the cabbage. I did this. I did that. The worst storytellers tell in chronos time. I did this, and I did this, and I did this. Isn't that funny? I thought that would be funny. Apparently not. I'm a chronos storyteller. And then there's kairos time, which is moments. Like opportunities, moments that happen in time. Like you can't you can't just conjure them. It happens. Good, bad. They're just moments that are unforgettable. Best storytellers tell stories in Kairos time. That's time. Now word, the word for word in the Greek has actually two primary words for that. Logos, which is like a, a general word, a, a timeless word. It applies to lots of things in lots of places. And then there's another word called rima, which means a deliberate, special word, a timely word, like a word for this moment, a word, a rima for this kairos. And when the kairos moment meets the rima word, especially from the Lord, it's like that changes everything. It changes everything when the kairos meets the rima. And um, I was thinking about this. You, maybe you can forgive me um, if I give a football illustration, but it is the playoffs. Um, when I played football, I first started as a freshman. I'd never played in middle school. And I remember showing up. I didn't know anything about football. And I want, had always wanted to play, but I didn't know anything. And I remember the coaches getting up front, and they had all these kids that had played like special leagues and all that stuff. They all knew each other. I knew no one, and I, I didn't know anything. And, and they started drawing X's and O's, and it was just like another language. And they're like, and then this person goes here, and this person goes here, and here's the play. And then they, they realized like I didn't have any experience, so they put me on defense. And they started drawing up a really simple defense. And they're like, here's what you do, here's what you do. And then you know they've got these young kids, and there's a few other guys who haven't played too, so they're like, you contain and you tackle. It, Bedlin, in Bedlin, you know, shipping this person, this person, Francis, you guys got this. You, you contain and then you tackle. This is like the idea. So they drew up the idea. It was a, it was a, it was a Logos general principle that this is how our, our defense works. And then game time came. 
And I remember I wasn't, I didn't have experience, so I wasn't like a starter or anything. Uh, I was pretty fast, but I wasn't a starter. I wasn't in the game. And uh, I, I'd seen the concepts. I'd seen the Logos concept. And then all of a sudden, the, the, I forget if a player got injured or the coach was like, just wanted to get me on the field, get some experience. And all of a sudden, I hear, Bedlam! Or Bedlam! That's what they called him. Bedlam! Get out here! So I, I ran, he's like, he said, get out there, contain and tackle. And all of a sudden, that Logos general concept became very a Rima word. It got really personal. It wasn't just this idea. It was, it was George, you go contain, you go tackle. Do you see the difference? And that Rima word was, reading, was, was meeting up with this Kairos moment for me. I remember getting in, hiked the ball, and I ran in, and I didn't have experience, and I didn't, and I'm, the guy who uh, got the ball was the running back. I ran in so fast and so ignorant that I totally missed him, and he just went, Broop. and my first play on defense, this guy ran a touchdown because I did not contain nor tackle. From the sideline, the coach, it's like, Headline, I told you, contain and tackle. I mean, it was another Rima word with a few other words attached to it. And uh, I missed the point. You know, I missed it. And then, the, you know, I thought, oh, I'm out for sure. But the next series, he put me back in because this coach wanted to develop and, and help me learn how to play ball. And, he's, and he grabbed me by the face mask this time, pulled me close. And he said, bedline, contain and tackle. I went in there, and I shot in like an arc, because I was pretty quick, and I, I made my first tackle, and it was the Rima word meeting the best tackle Kairos moment I'd ever, I mean, I felt so good, it was like, yeah, when, when it changes from like that Kronos, Logos, like out there generality to something timely and personal. It changes everything. And there are some Christians that will read the Bible and they'll look at the Bible and they'll look at the Bible and say, this is God's word. It is. And there's some things like, you know, if you're frustrated with your neighbor and you're like, their cat keeps pooping in my grass. What am I supposed to do? I need a word from the Lord. Well, the, the Bible already has some clear stuff on that. Like treat, like love your neighbor as yourself and do unto others as you would want done to you for sure. But there are moments where God speaks to us personally and calls us out and a Rima word and a Kairos moment is a moment of faith where we can choose to trust God or not David can trust God is going to give him uh, victory and recovery or he cannot he can be like well it doesn't look like we're going to win I don't know if my men will follow let's just give up or he can trust him have you ever been in that moment where it's a personal word and you know that what you need to do Peter was in a famous moment like this. He sees Jesus walking out on the water. You remember the story in the New Testament? Jesus walking on the water. Peter, one of his disciples, looks out and sees him, and they think it's a ghost. And he's like, Lord, is that you? And Jesus is like, yes. And he's like, oh, it doesn't really prove anything. And he goes, um, if it really is you, um, call me out on the ocean with you. And you can, you can tell, like, right when he says that, he regrets saying it. That my, have you ever said something? You're like, well, do that. And you're like, why did I say that? Like, walk on the water? Really? And, and, and Jesus says, okay, come. That, when we read the Bible, we're like, oh, there's this cool story about Peter and this faith, and we're all supposed to trust and step out on the water, and there's this general thing. But for Peter, it was a very Rima moment. That was a word for him. You come out here. And Peter jumped out on the water because a Rima word in the Kairos moment demands a step of faith or a stepping back. My fear in our day and age 
And Christians, listen up. I know there's people who aren't, you're not yet a believer, and that's okay. This is, I want to talk to Christians and give you a little bit of a challenge. My fear is that there are many Christians who are whiteboard Christians, and they know the plays, and they've read the Bible. But that Logos, Kronos word has never become personal. You see what I'm saying? And they've never listened to the voice of the coach and had God grab them by the face mask and say, get in there and contain and tackle. Yeah? Don't walk out of here today. If God has been speaking to you, do not walk out of here today by like doing what David did and saying, God, make it clear. Give me direction. I want to follow you. Because he, just like my coach, wants us to learn how to live the life, not just know ideas and commands on a whiteboard. That's great, but that doesn't matter if you don't put it in, if you're not in the game. Get in the game. Listen to the voice of the coach. Listen to the rhema word of God. Amen? Now, I want to give you guys, just briefly here, really easy lessons on how do you receive that word. And it's really simple. I'm just looking at David. How did David receive that word from the Lord? And here's how he's, he simply did that. He received a word from God. And we know that God speaks in different ways to different people. And part of the amazing thing is everyone's unique in here. And God will he'll, he'll become more apparent and speak to you maybe a little bit differently than others. But we know that it's by his spirit. It's got to square with God's word. If you're hearing something from the Lord and it doesn't square with scripture, you, you need to revisit that. And we, and we have wise counsel in our life. And the first thing here, if you have your notes out, write this, prepare your heart. That's the first thing David does. In verse 7, it says about David, then he said to Abathar, the priest, bring me the ephod. So, so Abathar brought it, a trusted counselor, spiritual counselor that he trusts, that he listens to, that he cares about. He, he, he asks him to be part of this process, to bring him, hey, bring me my worship clothes because it's time to listen to God. I don't know what your version of worship clothes are and focusing. You know, some of you guys are wearing it. Some of you guys, it might be just like, I need to get in the right mindset. I got to listen to some worship. Um, how many of you guys are like worship music type people? If that's kind of prepares your heart, maybe prayer, maybe just quiet. You know, I don't, I don't know what that is, but prepare your heart. You know, especially learn how to prepare your heart for the worst day of your life because you will train yourself to turn to God, not run from him. Number two is ask. It says, then David asked the Lord. Should I chase after the raiders or not? Will we catch them? You know, should we stay or should we go? Ask for clarity. God, would you speak to me? And sometimes, like, have you ever had it where you're afraid to ask God for clarity? God, would you give me direction? Like, I don't know what to do. I'm frustrated. Or you're afraid to ask him because you don't want to be disappointed? And what if he doesn't speak? Or you've been in the middle of the worst day of your life. You're like, George, are you kidding me? I've asked and I didn't hear anything. With my father, when, with my, the relationship I have with my dad... There's moments where I've come to him, I said, hey, dad, what should I do? And he has very, like, son, you need to do this. And like, if it's, if I've blown or something, you need to go apologize. You need to go do this. You need to clean up your mat. This is what you need to do. Very clear. There's other times when I've come to my dad and said, hey, this is going on in my life. What, what should I do? And he's like, you know, you are, like, you're at an age and you have, you know this better than I do. You can make that decision. And I trust you. I'm behind you. And sometimes when God doesn't give us the direct word for me, I'm telling you for me, that is God saying, 
you make the choice. Because God isn't trying to make us into robots who have to have a word a minute. You ever been around something that's got a word a minute? To me, that's a sign that we are immature if we need a word a minute. Like my daughter shows immaturity if she's needing me to, to, to tell her everything. The goal for my daughter, who's five now, is for her to learn to make, make wise choices on her own and have wisdom on her own. And, and I, I only give direct direction if, if needed now. And, you know, like think about learning how to ride a bike. I'll direct and help and all that stuff. But the goal is to get them to ride the bike. And that's what God wants for us. So sometimes if he hasn't spoken and he doesn't make it clear for me, I'm like, well, that makes it clear to me that God, he knows I, I can make a choice here and I can live with it. And I can learn to learn from it. You guys with me? All right. Now the next thing, uh, oh, I got to read this verse. James 1, it says, if you need wisdom, ask, ask. Our generous father, he is, our father is generous. God is a generous God. He will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Some people are afraid to ask God because of their past or they're not good enough or God's busy. Why would he care about me? Ask. He won't rebuke. He wants to answer you. And the next thing here is to listen. To listen. Remember my daughter just grabbing my face. Listen. The Lord told David, yes, go after them. He listened to God. Again, James, it says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. When God says and speaks and we know, then we go. Don't just do the waiver thing. Well, I, want, I, I, I heard what he said, but I'm not sure if that's really the right thing. And we can start being divided in our loyalty to God and, and to all these other distractions. Like, may, may your heart be loyal to God as he speaks the word that he wants you to do. Or if he's letting you make that choice and that decision, be focused in it. Don't be divided. And then trust God's word. In verse 9 it says, So David and his 600 men set out. David told them, This is what the Lord told me. And I'm telling you, next week we're going to be covering one of the best leadership lessons I've ever seen. Um, We're going to cover that next week, but here we see the start of it. David goes and says, Here's what God has shown me. Would you come? Would you follow me? And 600 of his men set out. They trust God's word. They trust when the coach says, contain and tackle. They trust when, like he says, I'm with you. I'll, like, I know this is hard. I'm with you. We, we need to learn to trust in God's word. Let me give you something. You can write this down. This isn't in your notes, but I, it's always been something that's helped me. Do not forget in the dark what God has spoken in the light. Do not forget the word God has is spoken to you. Do not forget when you're in that darkness, when you're in that hard place, the worst day of your life, do not forget what God has spoken in the light. My father, and I'll just finish with this, my father-in-law Stan had a stroke and um, it blew out the back right hemisphere of his brain. And if you guys remember last week, I just shared it. it was like the worst day for our family and his wife. And we got this call and I picked up, picked up my wife from the school. They, they got a substitute teacher for it and we just left directly. I'd packed all the bags. Whole family just shot down to Sacramento as fast as possible. Everything changed that day. But Stan, this was also Stan's worst day. 
And he let me know like what, what went through his mind. He's like, it was so hard because he's like, my mind was like, I, half of it blew out. He's like, I'm just trying to f- try figuring out what's going on if you've got a full brain. He likes to joke about that. And he, said, he, he sent this to me. He said, I was thinking about my experience on the worst day or even the worst years of my life. And he said this, the first thing was denial. I thought it might be a bad dream and I had hoped that I might die because he didn't want to keep going through that and put his wife through that, his family through that. But he said, and in this time, I experienced visions and, and God speaking to me, um, especially through the nurse that he had named Lovey. And then um, he said he had one moment where he's like, you know, I'd always read Hebrews 1 where it talks about um, this cloud of witnesses. The family of God in heaven is looking at and standing for God's children, like all of us, when we're going through hardship, God's family is standing for us. He's like, I never got that until like half my brain's blown out. He's like, I'm, sit- I'm sitting there, I'm like just wanting to die, and the doctors think I'm going to die. And then all of a sudden he's like, God, I, I, I was aware of, those, of the saints, of God's people. And he's like, in those moments, he told me, God said to me, I'm listening to you. I'm here with you in the darkness. Do not forget what God says in the light. He said, I clung to that through all the rehab, through all the hardship. He says, uh, he said this gradual acceptance began. He began. I began accepting the effects of the stroke and found great support from friends and family and especially my wife, Kristen. Through it all, I did not lose faith. And even now, I believe God will restore my left hand. And, and even when the doctor says it's too long, it will take too long, uh, he's like, I believe it. I'm gonna, and I, he's going to continue walking in faith. He still has faith. Don't forget in the dark what God speaks to us in the light. Maybe you're here and you, that was the one thing you needed to hear. Do not leave this place. If God is speaking a word or you need to hear a word from him, during even the service, would you just take a moment and say, God, speak to me. Ask him. Listen. And then trust his word. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We're so grateful for you. God, would you help us to see the Kairos moments and to hear the Rima word? Would you help us to trust in you no matter what you're saying to us? no matter in what we're going through. I pray if there is anybody about to go to the worst day of their life or they, they're coming out of the worst day of their life or they're sitting right in the middle of it, God, would you speak to them today? Would you, would you speak something specific to them? Would you call them out onto the water? Not a general principle, not just a Logos, general, timeless principle, but something personal for them, Lord, to, so that they know you're close, they know you're, you're there with them, but they also know the direction you want them to go. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.